The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, kick off your tool tips and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 442 with guest Hino Esposito, recorded live Monday, April 27, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's more apathetic than he cares to admit... Carl Franklin. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. And my co-host, my partner in crime, Richard Campbell, out there in Vancouver. Hey, Richard. Must be springtime. We all have colds. Yeah, it's true. It hasn't gone away <laughs> yet. No. No. And you know what? I did some scientific experiments and it turns out that... Um, Playing darts and drinking Guinness does not uh, make your throat get any better. Oh, yeah. You sure you don't need more research? Uh, I might need a little bit more research, but I'm pretty convinced at this point. Not going to work. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. All right, so I got a story for you. Hit me. So yesterday was the nicest day in New England we've ever had all, all year. It was so 90 degrees out, and you know when it came time for sunset, it was just so nice. It, it must have been 70. It was perfect. There was no wind. The sun was shining. So I go, and I'm, I'm sitting out on the front deck, and well, they call it that, on the sidewalk cafe sort of at the, at the pub, having a glass of wine, just sitting there. All of a sudden, people start walking by because at the Guard Theater, there's an opera, La Traviata, okay? So all these people are walking past and going to the opera, and all of a sudden, here comes Karen Mangicotti and Mark Miller. Okay. Walking up the street. And I said, where are you going? And Karen says, to, to the opera. And Mark says, this is an opera? You told me it was a story about hookers. <laughs> Do you know how to like that one? Yeah. True story. All right, let's get into uh, Better Know Framework. All right. What do you got, sir? Okay. Well, we've been talking about system.windows.controls classes, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, about the Canvas class today. So, you know, there's all sorts of container controls in WPF. There's a grid, there's a panel, there's a stack panel, and then there's a Canvas, and Canvas is useful when you don't want to get crazy about sizing and, and placement of child controls, because right. the width and height are always zero, but child controls uh, maintain their size. So you can just specify their position. Um, controls can just specify their position in the container. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's a little bit different. Look it up. 
and check it out. Maybe we'll ask Dino to clarify a little bit between canvas and panel. But that's basically it. It's all about sizing and placement. Awesome. Yeah. You got an email for us, Richard? I do indeed. And it's a, a recent one, too. Feedback on show 438. Dear Carl and Richard, I was blown away by show 438. Patrick Hines on Why Projects Fail. That was an excellent podcast. Yes, I simply loved his home walkthrough analogy. A client who just points out what they don't like in their current software or web app hasn't really told you anything. You can't put together a realistic full spec based on what they don't like. You're basically left with a bunch of guessing of what they will like. It's the second most common thing I hear next to my neighbor's kid is 15 and he builds websites too. Ah. Pat really nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other one I hear is this would be so much cheaper in Ruby on Rails. <laughs> Yeah. In all candor, I found that some .NET Rocks podcasts are okay. The majority are outstanding, but it's a rare gem like this one that is truly great. Keep up the good interviewing. Cheers from Ed Weed. Awesome, Ed. Thank you, Ed. And a DNR mug is on the way to you. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas, criticisms, anything, send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. And now it's time to announce the winner of the TechEd 2009 sweepstakes. This week's winner is Mike Minatio from Perth in Australia. Mike, you get a mug, and you're immediately going into the drawing for the grand prize, which I will pick right now. May I have the envelope, please? The winner of the free trip to TechEd 2009 in Los Angeles with airfare... And hotel paid for is Joel Duvall from Roseville, California. Congratulations, Joel. And thanks to everybody who participated in the contest. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to Dino. Dino Esposito, our last... Uh, Last time he was on the show was number 281, October 16th, 2007. An architect and trainer at iDesign, Dino Esposito is one of the world's authorities on web technology and software architecture. Every month, at least five magazines and sites publish Dino's articles covering topics such as Ajax, Silverlight, software design, and patterns. His most recent book is Microsoft.net, Architecting Applications for the Enterprise from Microsoft Press. In the course of 2009, other books will be released to discuss web architecture in ASP.NET MVC, the MVC framework. Dino speaks regularly at industry conferences, including Microsoft TechEd, Dev Connections, and premier European events such as DevWeek and BASTA. That's an acronym for something, I know. But doesn't it also mean shut up in Italian or quiet? But basta in Italian means stop. Stop. stop it. Yeah. yeah, but uh, basta is a, is a German acronym that stands for Visual Basic Days. Basic Tage uh, stands for something like Tage Days, and Basic stands for Visual Basic. So, Dino, what have you been up to these days? Well, these days I'm uh, I'm back to um, to consulting. That that's big news uh, after. After a few years of just writing, writing, and writing, and I remember you, Carl, very well. Uh, mentioning every time we uh, we met at conferences, uh, you know, I, I, I read your articles, I keep on reading your articles, but I still um, find hard to believe that you only write ninety percent of your time. Yeah. You you said that for you know hundreds, millions. Uh, of times, yeah. and now we starting in 2009. I decided to, um, yeah, well, to to start paying more attention to what happens uh, in the companies that actually build applications. So back to consulting, this is the, the big news for me uh, that came with the, the new year, the 2009. So the, the, this is exactly what I'm happy these days. I have a couple of important customers for me, just a couple of customers. Uh, building new applications, um, web applications actually, and uh, yeah, I- I'm working closely with them to um, to architect uh, these applications to to face the challenges uh, of modern web. Well, that's great. Um, 
It's a little bit different, I know, but you know, still facing the same issues. I bet uh, you've been very helpful. Well, yeah, so it's more. It's mostly, well, architectural stuff, right? Because um, yeah, it's um, it's architectural because you know technologies are pretty rich these days. You know, there are so many frameworks out there to to build a front end, or there are also uh, frameworks uh, to build the, the middle tier. Uh, the data access layer, you, you can include you in Hibernate, uh, but e- even lower level tools like ADO.NET, Entity Framework, whatever. Uh, so tools are there. Tools are more and more powerful. What really matters at this point is the vision, is the uh, the architectural vision, the design of the software, so that the software is flexible and uh, uh, serves the purpose of today while remaining flexible enough to allow for future extension. This is the key challenge for, uh, for designers and for architects. So build the features that your customer wants today, but try to do that in a way that makes the software itself easily accessible, uh, easily testable. And you know, if you have just one feature to pick up, to build into your system, be that feature B. Um, maintenance and flexibility that's most important this is the, the big lesson that i've learned in uh in, in in the past few in the past few months when i started back doing some serious consulting yeah be flexible and that's all of it be flexible but also yeah but, but also be to the point you know straight to the point but trying to be flexible for future enhancement that's key right and i i always find it um an interesting walk between the line of flexibility and, you know, making yourself open, you know, decoupling and things like this, but not actually, you know, coding features, you know, coding for features that may or may not, you know, trying to predict the future. Like you can go a little too far in that way is what I'm saying. But, um, um, but yeah, uh, certainly decoupling, separation of concerns, all of these flexibility things that we, we, you need that. Because you don't really know where you're going to go in the future. Exactly, exactly. You you, you should try to, to to guess some some features coming in the future, but you know don't guess too much. So right. it's, it's a matter of trade off. It's a matter of balance. Yeah. At the end of the day, and uh, well, these days you know that there has been uh, an important earthquake in Italy, and so in the news there was um, uh, was a common common topic being discussed in TV shows was how to build houses that can survive, happily survive a earthquake. And guess what? The key principle is decoupling. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's decoupling, you know, the the building, the foundation of the building from the soil, from the ground. So decoupling is still the key feature in whatever aspect of life you want to look at. You know, this isn't the first time this isn't the first time I've heard uh, principles of architecture of software design being applied in different ways. In fact, I'm taking a screenwriting class of all things, and um, we were we were talking about the danger of doing complete rewrites and changing things too quickly without, uh, you know, in a script without considering how it's going to affect the rest of the story. What you end up with if you do it too fast and you do it the wrong way is inconsistencies and uh, it starts to look like the the little the those little dolls that that evil kid in toy story started making you know things that just don't don't have any consistency and i was telling my 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 teacher this that there's a process called refactoring in in software development and he thought that was a perfect metaphor but you know it's just funny how these these are principles that I guess maybe any kind of abstract work that you're doing um, that they can apply to. Well, I think that refactoring is uh, the big thing that uh, sets a difference, the most important difference between uh, uh, the the traditional world of architecture related to construction and uh, software. Because uh, in in, uh, architecture, in construction, you know, uh, having a big upfront design is uh, is the only way of, of doing things. Why? Because uh, you, you cannot test, or you know, not easily. <laughs> you cannot test that easily uh, a construction 
thank God, thankfully, we are much more agile when it comes to software, so we can test, uh, we can run simulation, uh, we can uh, we can refactor. Uh, refactoring a construction is much harder. <laughs> uh, refactoring software is much easier, and it's a fundamental aspect to consider for any every every architect, every designer, and also methodologies that promote refactoring, like just to, to use an, you know an umbrella term, agile methodologies for for software development and project management. Uh, uh, those are fundamental. So, and, and I'm happy that after years. Uh, so many people in the Microsoft space <laughs> are uh, paying a, a lot more attention to these topics than it was only a few years ago. I have to jump in on the whole construction metaphor because, believe me, this renovation I've done, there are certainly some agile elements. There's, no, there's nothing like opening up a wall and finding stuff you didn't expect in it to suddenly change your requirements. And, you know, we do scrum on the work site, too. We uh, we have meetings every morning talking about what's going to happen today and what didn't happen yesterday and so forth. It's it's incredibly familiar to a software developer. Yeah, the requirements are there just to change. You know, <laughs> every, every architect, every developer knows that very well. Re- requirements happen and they happen to change every day, every night, you know, autonomously. And uh, yeah, agility in the in the structure, in the design. Uh, if you can put that to, to the extent that you can put that in, uh, that will, will make a difference between a successful and a less successful project. Yeah, you know, there's a fine line between coming up with a great design and really working out the details, and being prepared to change that as the circumstances change. Yep. Um, you know, architecting a, a piece of software of any complexity and more, even more, you know, and the more, uh, if the complexity grow, uh, it, it, it's, it's a matter of trade-off. You have to be a sort of, you know, you need a, ideally, ideally you need, you need a magic wand to figure out the right doses of the ingredients that you put into your recipe. It's a matter of, it's, it's making a trade-off, the right trade-off and the numbers, the right numbers, so that where, where do you put the line, you know, between uh, the today's features and uh, the, the, the changes uh, that can happen, that can reasonably happen, uh, has circumstances to change. Where you put this line is, uh, yeah, it's something that only your experience, your gut feeling, you know, can um, can give you, you know, right away. Otherwise, you try and try and try, and everybody tries and tries and tries until the, the, the right uh, balance is found. There is no magic formula to, to decide where exactly you put the line. Or you know that formula, maybe. Yeah, there really is no substitute for experience in this sort of thing. Yeah. Speaking of changing your mind, I noticed that you, uh, you're, you're not so negative on MVC anymore. No, because uh, I started using that. MVC read as read as the Microsoft ASP.NET MVC. Um, well, what, what I don't like in particular, uh, not about MVC, but in general about uh, um, about Microsoft these days, is the industrial amount of CTPs and bills and intermediate bills that is uh, you know available to everybody and. Uh, you know, with limited time to um, to look at. So uh, for for a few months, I just you know disregarded MVC, not because I had something against the design level or the implementation level against the tool, but simply because uh, you know I was not supposed to, to. I had not just no time to have a look at CTPs. When MVC turned into a beta, beta one, which happened. In the in the fall of 2008, I was more I was more than happy to have a look at it, and I enjoyed it. I started using it, and it was uh, it was good. It is good, definitely. It is definitely a good product, absolutely. So it was more lack of information. Oh, okay. Yeah, the CTP seemed to move really, really quickly, and I, and I do think it's one of the first times Microsoft's been quite that open with the development of a new set of libraries like that. I'm wondering if it'll change going forward. Well, uh, my, my, my personal policy 
is don't look at CTPs, but just wait for a beta one. I'm with you, man. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's my thought. It's a national policy, but that's uh, that's the way I, I, I can survive these days in this world. Only where I put my hands on a beta, not before a beta. Okay, so um, do you want to talk to some of the things you really liked about MVC? Because you've been in ASP.NET for a long time. It's, uh, it's a different way of tackling uh, web development, isn't it? Yeah, sure. It's um, actually I I, th I think that uh, there's a there are a, a few uh, sort of historical reasons for um, for this uh, this change and uh, in the way in which um, ASP.NET applications uh, can be built. Uh, consider that when ASP.NET was uh, was revealed uh, to the world, it was around. Uh, 2000, 2001, uh, the previous way of building web applications was uh, in the Microsoft page, uh, was through active server pages, which was uh, a sort of mixed HTML and some uh, code blocks uh, interpreted, VBScript-based code blocks. And uh, active server pages were, uh, compared to plain HTML, a huge step forward. ASP.NET, introducing server controls and a framework, a runtime framework for processing every request and turning that into a page lifecycle represented another huge step forward. And the huge difference between active server pages and ASP.NET was that ASP.NET enabled people with non-web skills to do web applications. Yep. People coming from Pascal, coming from Java, from C++, even from Visual Basic, with zero web skills, could start writing effectively, productively, uh, web applications in uh, one or two days. Um, yep. So there was a, a complete different audience of people that started using ASP.NET. People with uh, significant programming skills not just in uh, doing HTML or doing maybe CSS or doing JavaScript. So people with significant skills uh, in the long run brought uh, the, the platform to evolve. So because these people raised the need for uh, design principles to be implemented in applications and then in the framework itself. So basically, um, ASP.NET brought a significant a uh, significantly different set of people to, to work uh, with web applications, uh, especially people with significant skills in programming and architecting applications. So not just people with uh, uh, HTML, JavaScript, or maybe CSS or DOM skills. In the long run, this road to raising issues like, what about the overall design of my application? Uh, what about layering my application, separating presentation from the middle tier and the middle tier from the data access layer and the data access layer from the database and so on? So, in the long run, it was brought to the attention of the teams at Microsoft the idea of doing something to improve the quality of the average application that people could build using ASP.NET technology. Uh, a first attempt that was made was building the web client software factory, uh, which was essentially, uh, in my opinion, an overly complex framework with some very good ideas inside. Essentially, behind the web client software factory, there was the idea of using a workflow to decide about uh, the next page to display. And more importantly, there was the idea of bringing uh, a neat separation of concerns uh, between the presentation and everything else by using the MVP, Model View Presenter Pattern. But uh, as I said, the web client software factory, you know, didn't really hit the heart of the average developer. And um, and very, very few people actually use this. ASP.NET MVC was instead a much better attempt. Um, the MVC model view controller is, uh, 
it's just you know an acronym that gives you a loose idea of what's going on under the hood. So at the end of the day, if you look at the details of the pattern, there is no significant difference between MVC and MVP. Um, MVP is an enhancement of MVC, um, but the MVC pattern implemented in uh, uh, ASP.NET is essentially a, a web adaptation of the pattern uh, that is really, really close to the official definition of MVP. So uh, regardless, anyway, of the details and the intricacies of individual patterns, uh, what is the key point about MVC is that now it's the framework that guides you, the developer, towards the building of a much better architected application. Before that, so the web forms model, for example, in that model is you, the developer, totally responsible for layering properly your application. With ASP.NET MVC, at the cost of changing the paradigm, it is the framework that guides you towards a well-done architecture. So you get the architecture for free, which is not exactly, you know, it does not exactly mean that now by magic, there's a sort of software magic wand that basically allows every developer, regardless of skills, to build and design the perfect application. There are there's still room for doing, for building uh, bad applications with poor software, but anyway, uh, it's in the framework now that you have a mechanism that drives you towards, it shows you the right way to go. This is a big change between MVC and web forms. So is it really an architectural change or is this just tools making it a little easier to build the app? Both things. It's, uh, it's an architectural change because uh, applications are devices in a different way. The approach is different. Uh, and the tool, on the other hand, the tool makes that easy, easier for you to go that way. Uh, just to, to exemplify, you can still have the MVC or MVP pattern implemented in web form. Right. So and that's what exactly what I was thinking. Couldn't we do a form of MVC with web forms? Just like, where does that break down? Exactly. You, you can do that. But uh, it's entirely on your own. It's your responsibility to, you know, to, to define an interface for every screen, for every page, to implement that interface, to create a presenter or a controller class for every view, to connect things together, to talk to the model, to organize data serialization back and forward, organize validation. It's entirely up to you. It can be done, but it relies entirely on your vision and an architect. Uh, with MVC, the ASP.NET MVC instead, that is the natural way of working because it's the tool that guides you towards a layered MVC-based architecture. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you this message. One of the drawbacks of using third-party tools is that you have to deal with numerous vendors, so say goodbye to consistent quality and service level. Fortunately, that's not always the case. Our friends at Telerik, for example, are a true one-stop shop for .NET. They recently rolled out their Q1 release, which is just packed with good stuff. Start with Silverlight, an incredible grid, chart, editor and everything else a whole suite a 3d chart yes 3d in silverlight is coming soon as well the traditionally strong ASP.NET ajax suite got even cooler new controls visual studio extensions for quick project kickstarts new examples and skins you name it and how about web testing yep Telerik is now offering a powerful solution for automated testing of modern AJAX applications. It's called Web UI Test Studio and is developed in partnership with Art of Test. Then comes reporting, WPF, WinForms, but I'm running out of time. So just go to www.telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com and be amazed. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Dino, can you um, can you explain the the pipeline 
of the ASP.NET MVC and how it's different from the ASP.NET pipeline or or if it's, you know, uh, if it's separate? Well, essentially, uh, the, the runtime is more or less the same. There are more specialized tools, but uh, I, I guess that 80% of the runtime, the ASP.NET runtime, is shared by web forms and ASP.NET MVC. Um, in terms of the pipeline, it is all about uh, um, the introduction of uh, a router tool that essentially in MVC intercepts, recognizes and intercepts uh, the incoming request. The HTTP module is uh, part, a standard part of the ASP.NET uh, runtime environment since version one. So the router that is you know, at, at the front end of ASP.NET MVC applications is essentially implemented as an HTTP module. So requests that qualify themselves as being issued from an ASP.NET MVC applications are recognized. And after that, the pipeline is different because the URL uh, is read, is parsed, and parts of the URL are recognized and mapped towards a list of possible uh, URL uh, patterns so that in the, the URL you know, contains internally the name of the component uh, that is there to serve the request and the name of the method on that component that will be called to produce actually the response for the request. This is uh, uh, different from uh, web forms in that in web forms, uh, the URL does not contain any sort of meta information. The URL is simply a pointer to a server-side file that lives in the web server. That path is resolved, points to a physically uh, existing resource on the web server. Uh, the content of that resource, the ASPX file, is read, parsed, and then used towards compilation uh, through compilation to produce HTML. So this is the, the role of the URL is the first key difference that influences most uh, of the pipeline. At the end of the day, both in web forms and MVC, it is all about finding a component, a handler that can serve that request, and then having this component to produce some HTML to be returned back to the caller. So the process in which the component, the handler, is identified, that is different, and it is URL-based. And the second part is the generation of HTML that in web forms is hard-coded in the framework. So uh, the, 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 the resource that is the target of the request contains itself internally the HTML, this is what happens in web forms. In MVC, instead, there is a separate engine, the view engine that receives data and uh, receives also an HTML template or any other sort of information like XML, XAML, uh, whatever you want, and produces HTML. But it's a separate engine that can be replaced. So it's not really replacing the ASP.NET pipeline. It hooks in at the HTTP handler level takes over, and uh, and then it's really up to the developer to uh, take it from there. Oh, so say that uh, in, in web forms, you can uh, actually replace a number of aspects uh, by, you know, in working at the lowest possible level within the ASP.NET runtime. Uh, this same of flexibility is leveraged by ASP.NET MVC, which in turn exposes towards uh, developers a much easier facade for developers uh, to uh, uh, unplug and plug new elements, new engine for view, for, for testing, for uh, uh, representing the uh, uh, intrinsic objects and everything else that makes up the runtime environment of any web application. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder if, I mean, right now there's there's sort of a, a lack of support for MVC from third parties. So the, the developer is very much on his own trying to create these views. I'm wondering if we're going to end up with an ecosystem of 
some form of control that people will use for views that can plug into the MVC space. Yeah, this is uh, today, spring of 2009. This is the, the key point. This is the major drawback, probably the only drawback, a significant one, uh, the major drawback of the ASP Learning MVC. So it is, uh, in my opinion, still this is just a lack of a proper model, component component model for building views more easily and effectively. Um, this is just the main reason for which we can still talk about web form versus uh, ASP.NET MVC. Because if we look at the, the platforms in terms of you know their the qualities of their architecture and uh, uh, and the, the power. You know the the the, the scope that the, the, they they can have. Uh, actually, uh, you, you see pretty much easily that MVC is more modern, uh, provides you more testability and a better separation of concerns. So it is better, to, to, architecturally speaking. But in practical terms, the ASP.NET MVC platform today does not necessarily give you the same level of productivity that you can obtain out of web forms. And this right. is mostly due to the lack of uh, a component model for building UIs views more easily. So the, the other possibility then is that some of these view implementations might be things like Silverlight or, I mean, you even handled this, some kind of uh, XAML implementation, maybe of a WPF client that would work against MVC. Well, uh, personally, I believe that uh, MVC just needs a family of server controls that are different from uh, uh, web form server controls. In, in that, they just produce HTML and do not handle postbacks and use state, of course. Right. And they are a little bit more uh, powerful and... Uh, um, expressive than HTML helpers that today are the only, you know, special tools that uh, developers can use to save themselves uh, writing, you know, every single angle bracket of every single HTML tag. So today we have HTML helpers, but they are just helpers that help you to produce HTML more quickly. Uh, what we need is, in my opinion, of course, just server controls uh, with some templates, uh, an overall syntax very similar to the syntax of server controls we had in web forms, but simpler components than web forms in that there will be no support for yeah. post-back events and for use space. Well, I, I'm interested that you say that because I know you're also the guy who is very much on the idea that Ajax isn't really Ajax until the controls are rendered on the client. So wouldn't doesn't MVC lend itself that same model that we should be doing all our client uh, all that work on the client and just letting the the server end? The, why would the server end do any HTML? They just host the core architecture and feed us data, and we do everything else on the browser. Well, it, it depends on uh, essentially whether you, you want to do the, the, the quantity of, of work you want to do on the client. Uh, mostly depends on uh, the type of application that you are building. If you want to build a, a, an application that does some sort of social networking, you know, task, well, in that case, it is fundamental. You want an application extremely light, uh, extremely fast, uh, quick to react, and that gives a really, really compelling UI. Well, in that case, you probably want to do everything on the client, but to do everything on the client... Uh, you, you you can only rely on JavaScript and uh, right. on libraries over JavaScript that makes you more productive. And today, this mostly means using jQuery. But yeah. jQuery is, you know, a library, fantastic library, but built, of course, for JavaScript. So there is not much in jQuery that, you know, is for reusing components, reusing objects, it's, you know, Function-based uh, programming, uh, you know, that is kind of different. And as, in my opinion, very little to do with uh, 
Uh, it's just one way of creating a presentation, you know, essentially, and then drives you towards an architecture where you have a, a presentation based on JavaScript and then a facade of services, uh, web services, WCF services, uh, REST services, whatever you want, just services, a URL and, and HTTP endpoints. Uh, you call it to, for, for, for any sort of data exchange. Um, I got to imagine, Dino, that uh, using jQuery with MVC in, uh, has got to be pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, my my point is uh, that this may not be the right approach for just every application. Uh, okay. Okay, this is just this. Because, I mean, if, if you have to put a number of grids and create massive details, uh, views, uh, well, and you want to have uh, data-bound grids, then you, you need to use plugins for jQuery. Okay. That's fine, but plugins for jQuery, you know, are just external tools for jQuery, so that you know creates connections, dependencies between you, your application, and others of external uh, plugins for jQuery. It's good if it works, but uh, it's simply what I want to say is just this is just one way of working. Uh, personally, uh, if I wear Microsoft. Or you know, if I can spend my two cents, I would also like to see in MVC a family of controls, evolution of today's um, HTML helpers uh, to make possible for me and for developers, developers with, uh, you know, zero JavaScript skills. And there are so many developers out there. Uh, that just you know feel sick at the sole appearance of, of a script tag in, in in the page. Yeah. For these developers having a, a server side uh, component model for for producing the views can only uh, be better and uh, and it will uh, will make them absolutely productive. So having both the possibility of using jQuery uh, with MVC and MVC with this sort of new family generation of server controls, these two options uh, can cover virtually every possible scenario uh, and, and every possible type of application you might, you might want to write. So where does Ajax fit in the equation if that's the, the perfect uh, mix? Well, jQuery has a really nice Ajax support, but, Absolutely. Uh, but it does, doesn't use the, the uh, you know, Microsoft's ASP.NET Ajax, does it? Yeah, no, J- jQuery has its own uh, its AJAX own. framework. Yeah. Uh, internally, the, uh, the the jQuery uses XML HTTP requests. So let, let's say that jQuery, the AJAX framework within jQuery and the, the, the Microsoft uh, JavaScript-based support for AJAX, they are two facades built on top of the same underlying object. Uh, but, you know, you, you can do AJAX uh, with or without jQuery. You can do AJAX in, in any case, in any scenario, in web forms, in MVC. Uh, you can use jQuery with, with web forms and MVC. So essentially, uh, you can create the, the, the right combination of tools for both the, the, the UI, the presentation, the business layer, the data access layer, and so on. Uh, it's up, you, know, it's, it, you have a number of tools, and again, the architecture. So where you do what, this is done and the UI, so on the browser. This is done as part of the presentation logic, so that leads in the server. This is part of another assembly that contains the business logic. This is done here, this is done there. So the architecture, that is the fundamental point. And uh, if you can devise the, 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 the right application, so where everything that your application needs to do happens, uh, well, if you can figure out this correctly and, uh, and nicely, everything else is, well, not a detail, but uh, it's highly simplified. And you can choose the tools you, feel you like or you feel more comfortable with. So it sounds like MVC is pretty much at the heart of future web application development as far as you're concerned. MVC originally uh, was, uh, was a pattern uh, devised for building applications as a whole. Uh, it was then adapted to work over the web. 
and uh, and uh, the the ASP.NET MVC framework today and similar frameworks uh, we know from the open source world like Castle Monterey, for example, um, they are just an implementation of uh, a particular variation of MVC uh, device uh, for for the world of web. But uh, to do MVC, so to get separation of concerns, need separation of concerns between presentation, business, and the access layer. Uh, to get this, you not you are not forced to use the Microsoft ASP.NET MVC framework or any other similar analogous uh, framework. So patterns are something. Implementation is something else. Okay, I, I get it. I mean, that's the, the whole separation concept with architecture. There are other ways, that, although I can't think of any right now. Is there really other ways to use these patterns without using these tools? Well, actually, uh, using these patterns uh, is probably, uh, to date, the, the, the most effective uh, way of thinking, devising uh, a complex application. Um, yeah, and this happens with the web, uh, with WPF, uh, Windows Forms, Silverlight applications, mobile applications. They are general patterns uh, that can apply uh, anytime you have, uh, you can recognize layers like the presentation, the business, and the, the data access. So if you can recognize these layers, you can apply uh, MVC, MVP, or any sort of variation like the MVVM or the PM and whatever uh, combination and whatever name you want to use, whatever acronym you want to use. So, uh, and you, you know, I know you just finished telling us you're going to work more on projects right now, but you just published a book on web architectures literally in April 2009, right? It's it's just freshly out. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was just a few, two weeks ago. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, from Microsoft Press. And essentially it is the um, the web leg of the book that you mentioned uh, in the beginning of this uh, of this show, uh, essentially uh, it is called uh, ASP.NET and AJAX architecting web applications, and then just discusses architectures and patterns, architectural patterns for specifically web applications with a lot of AJAX inside, and it just discusses the role of jQuery, um, the role of the uh, the point of contact between uh, uh, reach. JavaScript, AJAX-based front-end, and everything else you have uh, on the server, so the HTTP facade, a list of uh, URLs behind which you can find any sort of uh, service, be it you know, uh, WCF, a web, a REST, uh, whatever. So it just covers that, just the architectures for building effect, for, for you know, building modern applications for the web, and today modern Application for the web means essentially an application that uses, in some way, AJAX, uh, brings in a lot of interactivity, uh, provides overall a compelling user interface, where compelling means essentially that there is a, 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 an important, a positive, um, uh, a nice uh, user experience. Uh, not necessarily there are so many effects, you know, that call up dazzling effects uh, to, to astound and astonish users, but just letting users work the best. This is uh, uh, what I mean with uh, compelling user interface and a compelling user experience. And uh, the book just discusses to the be best that I can uh, just how to achieve this. Uh, Dino, we're coming down to the end of the show. Is there any, anything, anything we missed that you want to talk about? No, I think that uh, we we pretty much covered pretty much covered um, what I wanted to to, to discuss. And uh, if I have to, if yeah, I'm just trying to anticipate a possible questions of yours, uh, so try to summarize your your thoughts in the spring of 2009. Uh, I, I say that uh, I came to um, to to rediscover the importance of uh, a good design in software, uh, the importance of principles, the importance of going back to the roots of software design to principle, to re rediscover principles like cohesion, coupling, and understanding why cohesion is best if high and why coupling is best if it is low. 
and uh, the importance of separation of concerns, uh, the importance of information hiding, uh, the importance of, uh, of the dependency inversion principle, which is the inspiring principle, principle for uh, things we talk mostly every day, like dependency injection, inversion of control, this kind of, you know, frameworks and this right. kind of patterns are just, uh, you know, uh, they, they just come from one fundamental principle, the <laughs> dependency inversion principle by Robert, formulated by Robert Martin yep. uh, quite a few years ago. And essentially, the, 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 the foundation of today's software is still the foundation that, you know, important computer scientists figured out some sort of 30 years ago. So 30 years later, still the same principles apply. And if you apply them, you are even today a much better architect and a much better developer. And if you look at DNR TV show number 126 with James Kovacs, he showed how to roll your own IOC container. It was a nice description of uh, IOC inversion of control and what that's all about and, and why, you know, why and when you'd use it. Well, it's essentially, yeah, yeah, exactly. Our inversion of control is an old dependency injection, depending on, you know, how you feel about that, which, which perspective you use to describe that. That is uh, something that the principle more than the actual implementation and, and the detail of that. The principle, applying that principle is fundamental for every good design. Dino, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure, not yours. Oh, more mine than yours. I doubt that, but thank you very much, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.